Station. Two men, believed to be migrants, have died in a fire inside the trailer of a lorry at a ferry terminal near the French port of Dunkirk. BBC News. Read by Zeb Sones. We have a song for a season that doesn't usually get sung about in John Finnamore's souvenir programme after this. The story of medicine to me is the story of how we deal with the incompleteness of our knowledge. This year's wreath lecturer, Dr. Atul Gawande, looks at why doctors fail. Go back a hundred years, and we lived in a world where our futures were governed largely by ignorance. But in this last century, we've come through an extraordinary explosion of discovery. And then the puzzle has become not only how we close the continuing gaps of ignorance, but also how we ensure that the knowledge gets there. The Wreath Lectures 2014 begin here on BBC Radio 4 this Tuesday morning at 9. Discover more online. Now for one last time this series, here's John Finnamore. This is John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme. Hello, Clean Water Initiative UK. Oh, hi, Fiona. Yes. Hi, it's Rawley from Buzzword Productions, about celebrity if you say so. Oh, yes, hello. Hiya. So, yeah, just really calling to let you know, we recorded the show yesterday, it all went really, really well. Oh, great. I'm happy to tell you that as Richard Bacon's nominated charity, you will be receiving a donation from us for £6,000. Oh, uh, great. Yeah, I know. Um... But didn't you say when we spoke before that it would be 25,000? Oh, no, 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 no. I said it could be 25,000. No, 25 was the maximum he could have won. Right. But as it worked out, he got knocked out at the second round, unfortunately. But not before he amassed a very respectable £6,000 for your charity. So that's lovely. (laughs) So, sorry, just to be clear, you're donating £6,000? Yeah. Though you were prepared to donate 25,000. Well, technically. But you won't now. No. Sorry, can you just explain why not? Well, because Richard Bacon thought Sooty was a dog. (laughs) Sooty was a dog. Well, that's what Richard Bacon thought, yeah, but uh, he's not. Uh, He's a bear. So, therefore, we can only donate £6,000. Right. Can I just tell you a little bit about the work we do here? I am a teeny bit busy. We provide freshwater wells to villages in sub-Saharan Africa, which, at a stroke, reduce infant mortality by 80%. They eradicate cholera, diphtheria, tuberculosis... That's really amazing. Honestly, it is. But, you know, my my hands are tied, really, because when it comes down to it, Sooty is a bear. (laughs) I know that. No, no, I know you do. I know. But, uh, you see, the thing is, Richard Bacon didn't. So, you see, my position... Yes, yes, but look, you, the company, must have budgeted for if he had known it. Well, yes. You must have earmarked the £25,000 you'd have given if Richard Bacon was more clued up about hand puppets. Well, technically. Then can't you just pretend he did? Yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't think that would be ethical. (laughs) You don't think that 
would be ethical. Yeah, I'm sorry, we just have to be really careful with ethics on TV, you know, in this climate. Yeah, but you're fine with withholding £19,000 worth of life-saving water sources because Richard Bacon didn't know Sooty was a dog. Oh, I'm afraid that clinches it. Sooty was a bear. I meant bear! I'm sorry, that's your first answer. Thanks for playing. Bye! Uh, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to my research vessel and to uh, the very first demonstration of my new invention, uh, 20 years in the making, uh, which I hope will uh, revolutionize the way we think about those uh, gentle giants of the sea, the whales. <laughs> For centuries, mankind has been captivated by the mysterious and beautiful songs of the whales. This is my grandson. I'm so proud of him. But only now, with my new whale song translator, will we finally be able to hear the secret meanings behind the mystical songs of this magnificent fish. Or oh, I say the ones who are mammals. I really ought to know this stuff by now. Um, and I'm pretty sure they're fish. Uh, so, uh, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Let us at last listen to the language of whales. That's 20 years I'll never see again. <laughs> Hello, I don't think we've met, have we? Uh, are you here for the conference? I am, yes. Ah, excellent. My name is Fahrenheit, by the way. Daniel Fahrenheit, <laughs> uh, University of Amsterdam. Fahrenheit. That's right, yes. And you? Anders Celsius, University of uh, Uppsala. Ah, pleased to meet you, pleased to meet you. Uh, it's good to see some younger faces amongst all us old fossils. Mm. So, uh, oh, tell me, what are you working on at the moment? Well, um... A scale. Oh, oh, really? Oh, that, that's a coincidence. To measure what? Temperature. <laughs> Temperature, really? Yes. But uh, surely there, there already is such a scale, is there, is there not? I believe so. <laughs> yes, uh, there definitely is. And I, and I think it's uh, pretty popular. People seem to like it. Well, people use it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they use it because they like it. I think they use it because they have no choice. Do they need a choice? There's no harm in choice. No! No? Uh, well, maybe a little bit. Um, I'm just thinking, don't you think it'll be a bit confusing having two scales measuring the same thing? Not really, no. No, I think people will just switch to the better one. <laughs> or stay with the better one? Theoretically. <laughs> but you see, the, uh, the trouble with the existing scale... I forget its name. Do <laughs> Yes, I do. The problem with it is it's a little bit, you know, crazy. 
Um, do you know what zero is on that scale? I actually do. Yes, it's, it's the freezing point of a mixture of water, ice and ammonium chloride. Exactly. I mean, you see how that sounds. <laughs> elegant. It sounds elegant. Why, what else is it going to be the freezing point of? Water. <laughs> but, you, but you can't. I mean, I mean why, why, why would... Oh. <laughs> And of course, meanwhile, the top of the old scale is... 96, uh, the approximate temperature of the human body, naturally. Yes, so a random number fixed to a variable. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I've gone for the boiling point. Of what? Of, once again, water. <laughs> oh. Yes, and I've labelled that point 100. Oh, just four more. <laughs> and it's a round number... And so each degree will be... Oh. Mm. (laughs) So, anyway, that's what I've been working on. Well, uh, good luck with it. We'll see if it catches on. (laughs) Oh, come on. Be gracious in defeat. Seriously, once my system is unveiled, who in the world is going to stick to a scale that goes from the freezing point of ammonium chloride brine to the approximate average body temperature of a human? Who in the world? I'll tell you exactly who in the world. Americans! What? You heard me! The Americans have already learnt my system. You think now they're going to learn a different system just because it's better? They're they're never going to do that, Mr Celsius! Never in a million years! They're not, are they? Oh, God, I forgot about the Americans! I'm very sorry for you, Celsius. Well, fairly sorry. Call it 70 sorry. (laughs) Out of 96. (laughs) Okay, even if I'm ten minutes late, that means I'm still there by half past. I can change my top in the loo. I mean, I I might even be able to get away with this one. It's not that creased. And I've got spare tights in my (gasps) hand. Wait, where's my handbag? Where's my handbag? It was just... Oh, oh no, 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 it must be here. It must be here. It's got my purse. It's got my keys. Oh, my God. It's got my passport. Oh, no, please. No, no, I'm sure I had it. I'm sure it was just... There it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, thank God. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes. Kids. An evil genie has been reported going around offering to show you the moment of purest, most unalloyed joy and contentment you will experience in the whole of your adult life. (laughs) It's very important that you just say no. Right, and the next thing was, I saw this dazzling light. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, were you two sitting here? Uh, no, not exactly. Ignore us, we're just passing through. Right. Yeah, dazzling light, but, you know, not just light, light, like a sort of beam of pure energy sort of thing coming down from the ship and surrounding me. I, I, I really can't dis- yeah, describe well, don't it. don't feel you have to. No, 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 and the next thing was, yeah, I was there on the ship, and there were these, like, three alien feathers looking at me, and one says, Do not be afraid, human. Ooh, oh, oh, hey, oh, hey. Ray, can I stop you there? What? What's the matter? Don't do the voice. Okay. <laughs> What? If you must tell us your alien abduction story, don't do your funny alien voice. Why not? Because it's 2208, that's why not. We don't do funny alien voices anymore. It's not the 70s. <laughs> but that's what they sounded like. I don't think they did sound like that. Where were they from? I don't know, a 
Alpha Centauri Osiris. <laughs> okay, okay, wait, you know those are really different places, right? Yeah, they're like millions of light years apart. Come on, you know what I mean. They, they were little green men. <laughs> Ray, you should take that back. That is really offensive. But they were! They weren't! They might have been viridescent and they might have been bipedal, but they were not little green men! Yeah, well said. I'm sorry, but my brother-in-law's green and he has to put up with this kind of crap all the time. <laughs> Seriously, Ray, you need to change your attitude. Yeah. So what are you saying? You don't believe I was abducted by aliens? I'm sure you were. These things happen. But that doesn't mean all aliens are abductors or all abductions are done by aliens. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and anyway, Ray, aren't you half Martian? Yeah, so what? For God's sake, Ray, a hundred years ago, it was the Martians who were the aliens. Yeah, but that was different. When my grandfather came over here from Mars, he came to work. He never abducted anyone. Great. <laughs> oh. Oh. Greetings, human life forms. <laughs> what can I get you to drink? Uh, four goggle blasters, please. Very well, it shall be so. <laughs> See? I take our jobs. Ray! <laughs> Well, howdy, friends. Guess it's that time of year once again. Ain't it funny how quickly it rolls around? So, here's a little number I wrote in honor of the season. Well, it's here. Well, it's here. Yes, it's here. Yes, it's here. That particular time of the year. Ah. Well, it's here. Well, it's here. Yes, it's here. Yes, it's here. That particular time of the year It's just too late for snow But there's still every chance of sleet And Christmas trees all dry and brown Lie rotting in the street Let's darn our suits of black or blue Let's wear our ties of grey For the 5th of February's just another working day And it's here And it's here Yes, it's here Yes, it's here The most miserable time of the year And it's here Yes, it's here The most miserable time of the year Oh, nobody is merry on the 5th of February With Christmas gone and summer still as distant as can be It is quite close to Valentine's But we all know for 99% of us That's lonely, stressful, boring, or all three So we're here with bad cheer The most miserable time of the year So we're here Bad cheer, the most miserable time of the year. For nobody is merry on the 5th of February. The tax was due six days ago, you're either late or broke. The children all have colds or flu, it's getting dark by half past two. Your New Year's resolutions are a dim and distant joke, but it's here. here. Yes, it's here. The most miserable time of the year. But it's here. Yes, it's here. The most miserable, wretchedest, cussedest time.
Uh, guys, I'm, I'm just popping out for a coffee. Can I get anyone anything? Uh, not for me, thanks. No, I'm fine. Uh, maybe a tea? Sure. Uh, milk, no sugar? That's right, thanks. No problem. Nothing for anyone else? No, thanks. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll have a macchiato. Uh, sh- sure. Um, actually, I, I was just going to get them from the canteen, but I, I can go to a coffee shop if you like. Oh, great. Thanks. Oh, well, if you're doing that, I'll have a latte. Oh, and can I get one of those little shortbready chocolatey things they do? Oh, yes, me too, but um, uh, one of the dark chocolate ones. Oh, milk chocolate for me. <laughs> right, OK, so uh, one tea, one macchiato, one latte, one milk chocolate shortbread thing, one dark chocolate shortbread thing. Great. And a packet of polos. <laughs> I don't think they do polos, actually. No, they don't, but the newsagent next door does. Oh, in that case, can I get a copy of Marie Claire? <laughs> and a lottery ticket. A, a, a lottery? What, what, a scratch card? No, no, a normal one's fine. Uh, my numbers are 6, 12, 18, 42, Right, OK, OK, guys, see you all oh, in... Oh, sort, is the black line open? I, I expect so. Great, can I get a gin and tonic? <laughs> a gin and tonic? No, you're right. Pint of Heineken. <laughs> I don't think they let you take the glass away. I will tell you what, while you're at the new agents, get a big bottle of water, right, then empty it out and pour the lager into the bottle. Simple. Okay. Oh, and uh, could you get me some paint? Paint? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be going past B&Q, won't you? I'm doing my kitchen. I need one more tin of yellow. I, I, I don't know which yellow. Uh, it's one of the middling ones. Yeah, I still don't really know yeah, which... no, Don't worry, uh, they do refunds. Just get a tin of each of the mid-range yellows and I'll take the wrong ones back. <laughs> or you can. Oh, and while you're there... Um, look, sorry, I, I don't think I can carry anything else. Oh, no, 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 fine, don't worry, you don't need to. It's just I've been meaning to change my will. So if you <laughs> pop into Haddon and Marshall on the high street, just tell them I've decided to split everything equally between Miriam and Sophie and cut Joe out altogether. Oh, if you're going to Haddon and Marsh, I think they've got divorce papers ready for my husband. Could you pick them up for me and then serve them on him? <laughs> we think. He's living in Glasgow. Oh, well, if you go to Glasgow... I'm not going to Glasgow. No, come on, seriously, we're 90% certain that is where he lives. I don't care. I'm not going to Glasgow and I'm not changing your will and I'm not buying paint or beer or even polo mints. I'm going to the canteen and I'm buying two teas and three coffees and you can work out for yourself who wants them. (laughs) You see, Prime Minister, I told you she'd get up at here if we made her Foreign Secretary. <laughs> OK, come in, please come in. Welcome to the National Heritage Tesco Restoration Trust. <laughs> so, time was about 500 years ago. There would have been Tescos like this one all over the country, sometimes two or three in a town. But nowadays, alas, there are only three preserved Tescos left in the country. And this is the one and only remaining example of what was called a Tesco Metro. (laughs) So, if you follow me through the aisles... Now, of course, when the Tesco Metro was up and running, none of these protective force fields would have been up, and shoppers would simply have reached for whatever they wanted, and the holes left would have been refilled by human employees. Now, we believe this job was probably done by children. who had the agility to to clamber up onto the high shelves and were known as shelf monkeys. (laughs) How old are you, young lady? I'm four. Well, if you'd lived in Elizabethan times, maybe you'd have been a shelf monkey. (laughs) And now we come to the pride and joy of the Tesco Metro, the self-service checkout. Now, this one's been lovingly restored by a team of volunteer vintage computer enthusiasts. Unfortunately, we don't have the original recordings, but we've recreated them as best we can. So, 
Who'd like to try their hand at selfing service? Uh, how about you, sir, in the excellent 21st century period costume? I especially like the top hat. <laughs> no? Uh, then you, madam. Uh, well, if you take this, it's not a real tin of beans, I'm afraid. <laughs> in case you were thinking of running off with it and making your fortune. <laughs> now, it will have noticed your presence, so any moment it should... Hail, good marketeer. A groovy day to you. I bid you welcome to this Tesco Metro. Approach ye now to check out number four, good buddy. Uh, OK, off you go. Uh, hello, I'm Jill. I'd like to have these beans, please. You can't hear you. <laughs> Look, just, just wave your can of beans in front of it. Like, like this? Beep! Great Scott! A can of beans by my trough. <laughs> Far out. Great, well done. Now, now put it down. Here? No, no, in the... Whoa, dude, not cool. <laughs> that can of beans thou have just scored, place it now upon the bagging place, you bally blighter. <laughs> Now, we know from the contemporary accounts of jesters at the time that the bagging place was very important to these machines. <laughs> right, yes. There. Top hold. You're all right, kid. Keep on trucking. <laughs> well done. And then what would have happened, which we can't do for you now, of course, is that you'd have paid for your beans, which means you'd have given the Tesco Metro a little tiny bit of your wealth. And the Tesco Metro would have used that partly to buy more beans, partly to pay the shelf bunkies, and a little bit it would have kept for itself. And the idea was, because everyone was buying things from everyone else, it would all sort of balance out in the end. But it didn't quite work out like that, as we all know. Any questions? Yes, what exactly was it that brought down capitalism... Well, it was a complicated business, and when you go to school, you learn all about it. But what it boils down to is, in the early 21st century, a radio sketch show made fun of it, and it basically never recovered. <laughs> Since you ask me for a tale of twisted science and meddling with forces beyond our control, I do have one cautionary tale you may find tedious. <laughs> it took place in the spring of 1908, a year which found me even more than usually rich. As a result, I took time off from diving into my swimming pool full of gold florins, only to recover from the various head injuries thus sustained. <laughs> and to catch up on the begging letters and business proposals I received. One, in particular, caught my eye. Dear Herr Finnamore, it read, please to come at once to Austria. I have succeeded in tampering with the laws of nature and trespassing into the forbidden realm, with results that I am 95% certain are entirely positive and beneficial to mankind. <laughs> Call it 90%. 80 for safety. You're scientifically, not in an evil way, Dr. Kruppenstein, Castle Kruppenstein, Kruppenstein. <laughs> Intrigued, I hailed a passing Zeppelin and flew at once to Castle Kruppenstein. It was a forbidding Gothic edifice with high turrets and the curious property of being constantly backlit. The door swung open, and I beheld behind it a giant of a man, or perhaps I should rather say creature. Effinemore, welcome to Castle Kruppenstein. Why, thank you, said I, blanching somewhat. And you, I take it, must be Kruppenstein himself. 
No, no. That is a very common mistake. <laughs> Krupenstein is actually the name of the inventor. I am Krupenstein's... Monster! Husband? <laughs> I, 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 I do apologize. Gretchen, the Englishman is here for you. He's very rude. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. I am Dr. Kruppenstein. Please do come with me. The invention is through here. She led me through into a dim workshop. Allow me now, Herr Finnemore, to show you something that will change the course of the whole world. Probably for the better. <laughs> I'm about 60% sure of that. And with a flourish, she swept a base clock off a curious machine of brass and polished wood. I examined it minutely. Well, I said... I must confess, it seems to me not obviously distinguished from any other base cloth. <laughs> not a cloth, you fool, this! I have invented a time machine. Great heavens, I cried, can it be a machine that actually measures time? Although, wait, surely clocks are... It does not measure time. Get in, I'll show you. You see, Herr Fenimore, 1908 will be forever remembered as the year in which mankind finally slipped our temporal bonds and learnt to travel freely in time. Oh, come, come, Frau Doctor. Huh, you don't believe me, then let me show you. Where would you like to go, say, a hundred years into the future? And with that, she pulled a brass lever and, with a noise like a radiophonic workshop, the world seemed to melt away and reform itself anew. But now, of a sudden, it appeared as if we were aboard some strange ship. For centuries, uh, mankind has been captivated by the mysterious and beautiful song of the whales. <laughs> this is my grandson. I'm so proud of him. Good Lord! Or would you go further? 300 years. Again, she pulled on the lever, and this time when the world returned, we found ourselves seated in some strange tavern of the future. Right, and then the next thing was, I saw this dazzling light. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, were you two sitting here? Uh, no, not exactly. Ignore us, we're just passing through. <laughs> Maybe even five. And at once we found ourselves at the back of a group poring over a device at once ancient and futuristic. So, who would like to try it around that solving service? How about you, sir, in the excellent 21st century period costume? I especially like the top hat. <laughs> and then all at once we were back in our own time, the machine perched innocently on a Viennese lakeside. Well, Frau Doctor, said I at length, it's an amusing toy, no doubt. But I confess, I cannot see the practical application. Now, if it could travel into the past... Oh, but it can. It can? Why, then, this changes everything. Well, indeed it will. And I would say 51%, probably in a good way. Why? <laughs> why, 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 with a time machine, we can go back and kill a... Uh... Yes? Uh, we can kill, um... Oh. Kill... Kill who? I, I don't know. Uh, it just seemed for a moment like there must be one person on whom we could blame all the ills of our age, and, and anyone with a time machine should certainly go back and kill them. But um, now I come to think of it, in 1908, there, there isn't really. I mean, there was Gladstone, I suppose, but he, he was more boring than evil. Thank you, Herr Fenimore. You have opened my eyes. 
I tried to hide it, but all along I have had my doubts about the possible effects of my discovery. And your reaction proves it. Of course, people will use this invention for murder and destruction as they use every scientific breakthrough. The only ethical course is for me to push it into this lake. Oh, no, don't do that. Too late. Oh, well, that's a shame. (laughs) And as the last bubbles of the machine subsided, taking with them my last hopes of becoming some sort of beloved eccentric hero who travelled through time killing people. (laughs) A sallow, dark-haired young man sidled up to me with a set of canvases under his arm. Excuse me, mein Herr, while you're here, would you like to buy a painting of the lake? Uh, What? Oh, no, no, thank you. Uh, Let me see. My word, these are all awful. I suggest you give up painting, my lad, and find some other line of work. Good night. John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme was written and performed by John Finnemore with Michael K. Bourne-Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin and Carrie Quinlan. Original music was by Susanna Pierce. The producer was Ed Morrish. And if you'd like to hear the show again, then... Aw, thank you. And John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme will be back at the same time last week. But for those of you travelling linearly through time, that was the last in the current series. A History of Ideas continues with the question, how can I tell right from wrong? Are you suggesting that sometimes morality and legality can be at odds? I think they're far apart in many ways. Melvin Bragg chairs a discussion, then each guest takes their ideas further in a programme of their own. Until recently, the question of how we tell right from wrong was something that mostly bothered moral philosophers. But in recent years, ethics has found its way into the laboratory. A History of Ideas on BBC Radio 4 continues each weekday at midday. You can listen to the series so far and watch special animations on the Radio 4 website. After the news here on Radio 4, the hunts in trouble in the archers.